Okay, okay. Last week, we were in Revelation 12, and if you've got a Bible, can you get your Bible in front of you now, because you're going to need it. In chapter 12, we were introduced to the Christmas story as we'd never seen it before, because as the mother, the woman is about to give birth, an enormous red dragon appears, and that dragon is Satan, he's the devil, he's the ancient serpent, he's the destroyer, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he is there ready to devour the man-child because of the promise that had been given in Genesis that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, that this baby was coming on a mission Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that would take Jesus to the cross. He was the only one um, that was born to die. He's the only member of the human race whose principal purpose in life was to die and to give himself for the sins of the whole world. And um, this baby was miraculously snatched up to heaven, taken, he ascended to, to the Father, seated on the throne, and the dragon is mad. And the, the dragon is now seeking other offspring of the woman, the woman. In other words, he's seeking the church. And he's saying, how can I destroy the church? How can I destroy every believer. So let me ask you, are you overcoming this morning? Uh, by the blood of the Lamb, through the word of your testimony, are you overcoming? Because the accuser has been hurled down. That's what it said. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Uh, the devil has gone down the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. The enemy is a nuisance. The enemy is a danger if you get too close. But essentially, you are sealed. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are sealed and you are protected. But as I said, the devil is mad. He prowls around like a roaring lion. And he wants to bring you down this morning. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your Christian walk. He wants to, one, affect your behaviour. Two, infect your thinking. And three, direct your passions. I'll say that again. He wants to affect our behaviour so that we don't behave the way that we should be behaving. He wants to infect our thinking so that we're not thinking the God thoughts that we should be thinking. And he wants to direct our passions. He wants our hearts to beat after something else other than God. And it doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his strategy. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, let's read some of chapter 13 
This is not a particularly edifying passage. It's an instructive passage, but it is awesome. And we're only going to deal with the first half of the chapter. I will deal with the whole chapter probably in Digging Deeper on Thursday. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. If you read verse 17 of chapter 12, the verse before, the dragon was enraged at the woman and he went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's you and me. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. The sea is often uh, portrayed in the Bible as a malevolent force. It's a force that threatens. Uh, for example, in Genesis 1, when God is creating the world, the whole of the world is covered in water. It's covered in sea. And it's absolutely no use for human habitat. And so God has to reduce the territory of the sea. He has to allow the land to rise up and push the sea back into its boundaries. In Genesis 6, because of the sin in the world, there is the impending flood and Noah has to build the ark to protect humanity from the sea. In Genesis 14, it's the sea that prohibits the children of Israel from escaping from the powers of Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And Moses has to put his staff over the water and part the sea so they could be delivered. And when we come to the Gospels and the life of Jesus, as far as I can see, the only thing that environmentally threatened the life of Jesus was the sea. The disciples wake him up on the boat and said, don't you care that we perish? We're all going to drown in this storm, including yourself. And Jesus rebukes the sea and he says, be still. So the sea in the Bible is a malevolent force and the dragon is standing on the shore of the sea because he's going to bring something out of the sea to fulfill his strategy in chasing down the church of God. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. That's why he stood on the shore. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each of the heads a blasphemous name. He is receiving both power and authority. You can have authority and be powerless. You can be powerless but have no authority. This beast has the authority to be powerful given to him by the dragon. Ten horns. Ten is the number of strength in Revelation. Horns have to do with strength. Uh, headship, authority has to do with headship crowns. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, fast, but had feet like those of a bear, powerful. 
and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, the great authority. So the beast has authority and power by proxy from the dragon. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. What's that about? Digging deeper. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. You know it now, 42 months, three and a half years, one, two, six, oh, days, time, times, and half a time, half of seven, not the full story. Well, he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Hey, verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. War on the saints. War against the saints. The beast is going to make war on the saints on behalf of the dragon and to conquer them. And yes, he will conquer them in terms of certain occasions on this life when the persecuted church will sacrifice their lives under the power of the beast, but only under the control of God. Every martyr will be taken, as Pam said earlier, not a second before and not a second after. God allows it to be for his honour and his glory. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life. That's not me. My name is written in the book of life. I have received the gift of faith that God has given me. God has adopted me into his family. And uh, so whilst all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, I'm not going to. Are you going to? Are you going to give honour to the beast? You say, no. Are you sure? You sure? All those whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world, he who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Patient endurance and faithfulness, I believe, is at a fairly low level in the church today. I don't think it's held high enough in esteem that patient endurance matters. We are in a world where we don't want to endure 
We don't want to wait more than three minutes for our beef burger. We don't want to have a meal cooking in the oven for very long. We want it now. We don't wait long for our petrol at the petrol station. And you know, despite our best efforts with tracking, testing and whatever, it's taking time to get these tests done. We don't want to wait. We want it now. We understand. But patient endurance is a virtue. Faithfulness, faithfulness, holding on. As Petya said through her testimony, I I'm going to love you in sickness and in health. I'm going to be faithful to you for better, for worse, richer or poorer. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. We are thinking we've read about the beast, but actually we're going to be unpacking over the next little while the dragon's unholy trinity. You know, there is a holy trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And uh, the dragon, the devil, Satan, he's a terrible copycat. He masquerades as an angel of light. And I guess he wants an unholy trinity operating under him. The beast, Revelation 13, 1 to 13. The false prophet, Revelation 13, 13 to 18. And the harlot, Revelation 17. So there's the unholy trinity that we're going to see over the next few studies. The beast, the false prophet, and the harlot. Don't ask, who are these? Don't ask, who are these in human history? It's the wrong question to ask. Ask rather, what are these? What do they stand for? The beast, the false prophet, and the harlot. What do they stand for? What is the satanic strategy that these entities describe? Well, I'll tell you now, the benefit of this recording is that you can go back over it because I'm going to say some things without taking time. The beast will use force. The false prophet will use deception. The harlot will use enticement. And they all appear to different parts of the human psyche. I'll say it again. The beast will use force. The false prophet will use deception. And the harlot will use enticement. Putting it another way, the beast will affect the things of our hands. The false prophet will affect the area of our minds. And the harlot will speak to the heart. The beast is about power. The false prophet, it's about pride. And the, path, the harlot, she's about passion. And you know, when we fall foul of these things, then, for example, in a church, a church can become over 
powerful. You can become a controlling church. It's much easier for a pastor or a leadership to grow their church, to make it move in their direction if you exercise control and manipulation. But that comes from the beast. Pride. Pride, once it gets into our minds. I can do whatever I want to do. I can be whoever I want to be. That's the mark of the false prophet. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. That's from the false prophet. And indulgence. Indulgence comes from the harlot. It comes from passion. Where a church says, look, let's just compromise with the world. It would be a lot easier. Let's just do what they do. Let's just behave in the way they behave. The harlot says, Ronnie, you have a right to be happy. You have a right, Ronnie, to enjoy yourself. Whereas the word of God says, this calls for patient endurance. The beast will promote violence in the world. The false prophet will promote false religion and heresy in the world. And the harlot will produce indulgence in the world. The beast will create fear. The false prophet will create falsehood. The harlot will promote compromise. And we might see this in the temptations of Jesus when the enemy comes to Jesus. He says, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can be the most powerful ruler there ever was. Every knee would bow to you. That's the beast. He comes again and he says, he takes him to the temple, takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, throw yourself off there. Angels will guard you. You're special. That's pride. That's the false prophet speaking. And then the devil comes and says, you're hungry. Why not indulge yourself? Why not satisfy your needs? You know you need it, have it. And he offers him bread and Jesus says, I won't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the house, the, the mouth of God. So can, can you see these three influences happening? The beast, the false prophet, the harlot. Now in John's day, John would have his eye on a particular thing when he says this. The beast for John is the mighty power of Rome, the mighty Roman Empire, ruling brutally, forcefully across the known world, putting every state, every nation under their control. He is the beast. And when he turns himself against the church, it's awesome. The false prophet 
is the pagan religions that surround him, notably the Roman Empire religions, the, the worship of the emperor in the temples, um, Caesar es curios, Caesar is Lord, that's what the masses have to adopt as their religion. Caesar is Lord, he's divine, he's God's person, he's God himself, he's the false prophet. And that false prophet is propping up the beast who really is supporting the dragon. And then you have the harlot. She's the pleasure-seeking society of Rome. She's the one behind the amphitheatres and the Roman circuses where they take pleasure out of their sadistic practices, putting people against, pitting people against lions and bears, having ordinary people forced to fight gladiators. And along with that, sexual immorality on a major scale. So for John, he can identify the beast, the false prophet, the harlot of his age. And he has to recognise that they are persecuting the church, but only for 42 months. In more recent times, the beast could be Nazi Germany. The beast could be the USSR, former USSR, cordoning off the whole of Eastern Europe, holding it in his sway against their will, communist China, each with their own false prophet, each with their own prophetic, uh, uh, sorry, each with its own propaganda machine. So uh, Mao Zedong has his little red book. Uh, the Nazis, uh, they, they believe in the supremacy of the Aryan race and Mein Kampf and all of that. Uh, the former USSR, the atheistic philosophy that was coming across, there is the false prophet propping up the beast and each with its own godless pleasure wherever you find it. And each of these beast, false prophet, harlot profiles all down through the ages make war on the saints. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. So the enemy will use any of these strategies at any particular time, any particular circumstance. So one day he might send a beast to oppose. Now you can view this in world history or you can view it in the church or you can view it in your own individual life. One day he may send a beast to oppose, to resist, to persecute the believer. He wants to cause fear. He wants to tempt you to give up. Rather like, do you remember the parable of the seed? Some seed fell into the rocks and it grew for a while and then persecution came and it shriveled up and died. That persecution is coming from the beast. 
That's the enemy push. Is he pushing you this morning? Are you feeling fearful this morning? Are you finding it hard as a believer? Have you been persecuted to some degree? Is the beast active in your life? Or is it the false prophet? The false prophet sows doubt and he sows deception. He plays mind games. He uses false teaching and false doctrine. He also, you know, brings in all that you're receiving from your social media and from the television, all the things that are held before you, things sometimes that you know are sinful and yet they are celebrated. And you're thinking, should I be celebrating it? I thought it was sinful. The word of God seems to say, as I understand it, that it's sinful, but they are celebrating it. Should I be celebrating it? That's the pressure of the false prophet. Like the seed among the weeds, that it, it, it grew up and then it, the, the life was sucked out of it by everything else that was growing alongside it. Or maybe it's the harlot, the prostitute. Maybe that's what the enemy is throwing against me today. That he's luring me. You know, the opposite of push is pull. You might be the sort of Christian that would say, you can't push me. I know where I stand. You can't push me. And so he comes along and he draws you subtly puts you into situations where you are likely to fall. He lures you into pleasure seeking. He distracts us with material greed. Before we realize it, having possessions is more important than holding faith. Sexual enticement is more exciting than staying faithful to our husband or our wife. That's the harlot. And you know what? He knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. Many, many years ago, we used to talk um, about landing strips and how that for each of us in our lives, we have little landing strips where the enemy can land his planes and develop his work. And our life's tasks as believers, when we, we speak about resisting the enemy, is to be aware of our landing strips, to be aware of our weaknesses, and to take arm against it. Whether it be the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, whatever it is, or praying in the spirit on every occasion, we need to arm ourselves because the devil is mad and he's got a beast. And he's got a second beast, the false prophet, and he's got a harlot and they're going to be sticking around for a while yet. So brothers and sisters, the message for today is be on your guard. 
Be on your guard. As we go through the book of Revelation, we're finding out more and more and more that there is tremendous good news and there's tremendous bad news. And we're going through some of the bad news just now. The dragon has an unholy trinity. So be on your guard. What do the believers fight with? What does John say in Revelation? We fight with the word of God. The word of God, our testimony, and the blood of Jesus. These are the things that we bring to ourselves, the blood of Jesus. In other words, we, we call upon God. We remind him that we are his children. We ask for his deliverance. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from evil. And we feed on this word. Let's just remind ourselves of last week's verses. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Hallelujah. His time is short. There will come a time when the dragon... And his holy trinity will go to their appointed place and they will cease to make war against the saints and we will overcome 